Welcome to Susquehanna Valley Church Podcast. My name is Matt Saxinger, uh, head pastor here at Susquehanna Valley Church. I've got two amazing guests with me. We've got Pastor Eddie, we've got Pastor Harrison, um, and just been blessed by really what's in education. When you cross cultures, if you're going to love people across cultures, which Jesus wants us to do, it needs an effort and it needs an education. And it's both, none of them are going to be flipping a switch. You're going to have to stick with it, you're going to have to learn, and you're going to have to say, who are these people that God created? How can I love them? We ended last week with this idea of what scripture does God want us to press into our heart. I'm going to steal an oldie but a goodie. I'm going to take the good Samaritan and yeah. say, Jesus blew some people away when he started telling that. And he said, the person who's respected in your race walked by. The person who's respected and revered in your race walked by. Guess what? Another one walked by. The, no, the one who helped, the one who changed that man's life, the one who saved him, is the race that you hate. Yeah. You don't have time for and you judge. And when they come on the side of the street that you're on, you walk on the other side. And Jesus says, that's, that's the good Samaritan right there. So that's the one that God presses into my heart. Yeah, Guys, let, let's get right through. What are some tangible things we can do? What, what are some practical things that we can do to embrace change and embrace a different culture what well thank you matt first of all for uh, having this broadcast and, and pastor eddie for uh joining in with this uh tremendous informal informative uh, session uh, let me just say this is that we need to begin to get very serious and and begin to really look inside of uh of our culture and, and start talking about some issues and talking about some things. Now, I have a, a few things that I think we need to really do. We need to address the institutional and systemic racism within our country. We, we need to address this, this bill that is out on the table now, this anti-lynching bill that uh, it's, it's going through uh, Congress. We need to talk about the actual um, this is uh, something that is pretty much talked about, uh, and I know it's going to—it's a topic that is sore. But the, the defunding or the refunding of public police departments—we we need to talk about these things because they need to understand. And the church is actually—I read a scripture—is that the heart of the king is in the palm of the Lord's hands. Yes. So basically, we speak, but God gives the the answers, and God gives the results. So the thing is, is that the king has no power unless the Lord gives him that power. So therefore, we need to begin to talk about issues and situations within our churches. Before, nobody wanted to talk about it because it was taboo. You know, don't mention black, don't mention white. Or See, back in my day, I was a black pastor. Yeah. I'm just a pastor. I'm not a black pastor. I am a pastor. Amen. And as you well know, Eddie, we pastored yeah. multicultural churches. That's so right. we're not just black That's pastors. Right. We're pastors. That's right. You know, I, I'm glad that you highlighted that, Harrison, because uh, in the early 90s, Pastor Harrison and I, we, we, we got together. Individually on our own, we were significant lead pastors. But we joined together because we felt like two was better than one. Yeah. And, you know, Amos 3.3 brings that out really nicely. You know, yes. so there, was, there were strengths that he had and there were strengths that I had. Today, uh, Gallup poll calls that strengths finders. And basically mm -hmm. what we're saying is, is that 
instead of identifying or even qualifying things that are supposed to be weak, we don't call them weak, we call them opportunities. Yes. So when Harris and I got together, we began to envision a city where people would not see the Susquehanna River as a divide. Because when we right. came here, the most ridiculous thing that we, we wouldn't go across the West Shore was, was West Shore. <laughs> and you go and Camp Hill. I mean, <laughs> I never thought twice about the river in my city, which no. is the Schuylkill River. I, I never thought twice about not being able to go over there. It never, it never entered into my consciousness. But yeah. I got here and people start talking that craziness. Harrison and I began to say, all right, let's develop a ministry based off of racial reconciliation. So we, we established a church that was multicultural. I mean, folks was coming from the West Shore. They yes. were coming from various races. Uh, we, we, we integrated our worship with, with people of, uh, of, of, of various uh, expressions, um, educationally as well as racially. Uh, and Absolutely. We, we really had uh, something really special going on. And to be honest with you, we really didn't do it on purpose. It just happened. But one of the things that we did do is that we made it comfortable for others to integrate into our worship. So, um, and when I mean the word comfortable, I mean, we have a very high volume, uh, celebrative kind of worship. So we would have that and we would have some of the other. We would do a balance act. We made sure that all the nations were represented up front. Mm -hmm. In other words, it wasn't just Harrison and I, two black pastors, and we were young in that day. We were, I was in my early 40s. What you were my hair was darker. Your hair was dark. And I and I've not dyed mines, but you know, DNA is keeping me in Jesus' name. So, so I, you know, but I gotta shave, Harrison, because if I don't shave, I, I got a beard like you. Okay. <laughs> But, but, but the thing was is that, you know, we got to really, to get to your answer or your question, Matt, we got to really reduce this thing down to uh, grassroots. Harrison talked about top down, which is certainly an adequate and most effective strategy, but it's also grassroots up. And mm -hmm. grassroots strategy, where that really comes into play, includes the local church. Amen. Right. The local church is the gathering center that can really influence the world in which we live in. You know, I may not be able to go to China, but I can certainly impact Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, South Central Pennsylvania. I can influence these worlds. And so the one key that begins in that way is partnership, where we begin to relate and connect to each other and spend time mm -hmm. with each other. And, 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 and even if my style is very different from your style, allow my style to be yeah. expressed as much as I need to let your style be expressed. And watch the potpourri and that smell of fragrance come up out of that. What will happen is, is that people's ideas will begin to change. Um, because then they'll find that as much as you're insightful, Harrison's insightful too. As profound as you may be, Harrison is very profound as well. Uh, mm -hmm. and, you know, as, as in depth in terms of understanding the word and making it applicable for the 21st century, 
person has that ability too. So it's not just one or the other, it's both of us. And, yes. and, and, and where Harrison and I really modulate ourselves, we became teaching pastors because we grew up in a very celebrative preaching environment yeah. where we sweat by the brow with enthusiasm, flinging our hands in the air, jumping as high as we can. Yeah. He and I are very athletic. Um, and so we, you know, we were bouncing all over the place, you know, <laughs> Jesus. but we recognized that if we were going to win other people of other expressions, what yeah. we had to do was to tone it down a little bit. Mm. Hey, me, stay real. Don't divorce myself. But then began, we began to become what we call teaching pastors. Let, and we yeah. did that. Did it work, Harrison? Yeah, it did. And, but let, let me also say, uh, Matt, back in the day, uh, I don't know if you recall, uh, an organization called Promise Keepers. Yes. I, I was the, um, the chairperson of Promise Keepers in the Capital Area region. And what I would do is to travel around to various churches, and most of them were Caucasian. And, and we would have um, stand in the gap meetings. We would have prayer vigils. Uh, I recall Eddie and I um, were having, you know, just gatherings together. But then our men's organizations, we started sending the men's organizations to these various churches, white churches. And, and we would go in with our, 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 our loud voices and our prayers. And we would call out to God passionately. And, and I can tell some people were very uncomfortable. I saw one white gentleman standing in the corner. He was sort of, he thought we were having, you know, some, some kind of spastic seizures, you know, but basically we were, we were crying out to God on behalf of our nation and our cities. But, you know, and then they finally found their way into the, the culture, but we groomed them in this sense saying, this is, this is just how we are. But I'm, let me go back to the Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers was had an effect on the community back then. But let me just say this too, is that one of the most uh, institutional racist acts that we have in our country is the Christian church. Mm. Is the Christian church. It's, it's the I mean, most, yeah. you know, the most segregated time of our world is on a Sunday morning. People go to their various churches, but there's, see, they don't integrate. And, and what Eddie was talking about is, is taking the tapestry from various cultures and weaving it together with the thread of the Holy Spirit, making a beautiful quilt that would be able to spread out over the kingdom, laying it forth. Because you come from a different background. I come from a different background. But yet it's the, the, the bonding and the, the, the unity of the Holy Spirit that holds us together. Yeah. And let me just yeah. throw this in here real quick, Matt. Uh, Harrison was involved in the Promise Keepers. I was a part of the sister network called National Fathered Initiative. Yes. I was a national speaker for them. And, yes. uh, and so we worked with Promise Keepers and, and we also addressed fatherlessness in the broader culture of America. Here's the crazy part about this. Fatherlessness didn't get heightened in America until it invaded into the white community. Then yeah. all of a sudden, we want to address fatherlessness. It's the same yeah. way. Crack was in the black community, and we were written off as some kind of mad folk. Then all of a sudden, opioids kick in. Now yeah. we want to have compassion. The babies, they just don't understand, and we mm -hmm. don't want to throw them into jail. But they actually created legislation on crack and threw us in the jail,
But when it became invaded into the world of the broader culture, it changed. Now mm. we want to cuddle. Now we want to have them have therapists and mental health sessions and right. you know, don't put them in a jail. Don't even put a, a strap around their ankle. You know, they're sick. Well, hey, it was the same in our community, but until uh, 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 it happens in the white community, then it, it doesn't register on the radar scale. And what's happening right now is, is that the church is in crises, Matt, because the quote-unquote white evan evangelical church sees themselves definitely different from those of us in the black church. Yes. And the truth is, we're crying out and saying, hey, but in the 90s, we were washing each other's feet and calling each other brothers. Exactly. What happened? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, now now because a president got elected that happened to be of African descent, this 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 craziness just kicks out. And um and 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 we're trying to recapture something and and yet I know it's broader, it's about judges, it's about abortion, it's about all those things. But you're going to in, in a Christian family now, you're going to supplant me for a political agenda when I'm your brother in Christ. Mm -hmm. Wow, the devil is a liar. Yeah, and <laughs> that, that's the thing. I I, per, I don't I don't care. I, I'm not a political guy. I campaign for one individual, Jesus Christ, and that's who gets my heart. Anything political, I think, is far far secondary to anything spiritual. I think, and we've got to be that way. Amen. We, we've got to. I, I one of the things I'm hearing from you guys is is I think a lot of times it's an it's an issue of what do we emphasize? Do we emphasize our judgment and our bias of a situation, or do we emphasize the grace and love of God with any individual? Do I say, oh, well, that's like this because they're like that, or do I say, we all got a problem with sin, and it shows up in different places, and we yeah. all need the love of Christ. Amen. It, it's central. So, so let me kind of, if I can summarize some of what you're saying, I think there's got to be a sensitivity to, to how we can understand somebody different than us. Um, and that, that's founded on a sympathy. So sympathy, I care about you as a creation of God, as a human being created in the image of God. That, that sympathy causes me to be sensitive. And I understand that to be truly sensitive, I'm going to have to make a sacrifice. Yeah. I, have to, I have to learn how to love you. And I might have to give. Uh, I might have to slow down uh, and take some of my, my precious time to connect with you and to, to care about you to create a real relationship. So we got sympathy that produces sensitivity that's going to call for sacrifice. What are some of, what are some of the sacrifices we, we got to make to emphasize God's love across cultural barriers? Empathic. We have to become empathic to embrace and try. See, see one of the things I'm taught as, as, a, as, a, as a counselor, as a uh, a person who works with people in mental health field. Uh, I don't tell people I understand. Mm -hmm. I, because I, I can't say to them that I understand, but I can empathize with them and I can embrace what it is they're going through and I can try to feel what it is that they're going through. See, the thing is, is that sometimes people do not want to embrace or feel what it is we're going through because of their privilege aspects. They don't want to, because of the idea of they have certain privileges, they don't want to feel the hurt and the pain within the community where folk are going through uh, hunger or going through the fact that they can't get the medications because of, uh, of a medical uh, rights act that they can't afford it. 
you know, they can't feel the idea that because they, they can't go through certain schools because they have a certain quota where that certain people can't enter. We got to allow now the underprivileged, which now happens to be of the other persuasion, to be able to be able to be a part of this institution of learning. So we have to be empathic within our understanding. And, 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 and the thing is that also, if we talked about it, and I'm going to tap on it, is that there's a cultural conditioning within our country which is a learned pattern of behavior. And what I call it as is, is learned helplessness. And learned helplessness is a conditioning where you believe a lie as it, if it is, if it's truth. And you believe that you can't do something because it is true that people say it over and over, you're not gonna be amount to anything, you're not gonna do this. So therefore you become that. And the way you combat learned helplessness is that you recondition the thinking. And that's why the Bible says, as the man thinks in his heart, so is he. But then you have to, first of all, come to the point of view saying, but if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. There's a new thinking that has come in. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Jesus, conf Jesus confronts the thinking of man as opposed to the physical aspects of man. And so when we're talking about change, you need to change your thinking. And, I, and, and he need, we need to re-embrace the idea that, you know, everybody has a part of God's kingdom and we need to be able to be able to sit at this table together and, and not be, you know, disenfranchised because of the way we look or the way we talk or the way we act. We are going to sit at that table Come on now. together. We're, we're all going to be around that table in the kingdom. Oh, no, no, Matt, no, Matt. There's, there's, a, there's a southern heaven and a western heaven. You know, there's basically this. This saying, there's a southern heaven and a western heaven. We're gonna be on the. No, I agree with you. <laughs> Let me throw you out. Throw out there in, in terms of this table, whether it's western or southern or heavenly, it's called the communion table. Yeah. The table that we all get to come to, based off the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ. This is how we are then reconciled. Pastor Harrison brought out a very powerful scripture. And, uh, you know, I play around with a little bit of Greek, and so do you, Matt. And, you know, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Uh, one of the versions going to say, the old is gone, behold, the new has come. Now, now, that new creation means that we're a new species. We're yeah. not black or white. We're not Jew or Gentile. We're yes. not bond or free. We're not male or female. We are spirit beings that are a new species with a new DNA. We don't even have the DNA from Europe or from Africa or from Australia or from South America or Mexico or Canada. We got a, we got a kingdom DNA. Yes, now, we do. in here. So how do I make this applicable in the earth? Well, one of the first things I believe is, is that the, the, the Catholics got this down real good. The Episcopalians too. And many of your mainline churches in America do this very well. They celebrate communion every Sunday. But that table has to be a unity table. It's got to be a table free from racial impressions. You've got to stop feeling sorry for me. I don't need your sympathy. What I do need is what Pastor Harrison talked about, empathy. I want you to be able to identify with me on, 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 on what your experiences are and where you can't identify with me, you're willing to learn. As, yes. as I mentioned to you, my wife and I, we serve on a pastoral team 
of a, of a church that has over 21 nations that attend it. And they're, they're predominantly African. Um, and uh, I'm telling you, uh, their thinking, their language, their eating is different as the West part of Africa is from the East part of Africa. Now, my wife and I, we're Americans. You know, we love macaroni and cheese. We like pizza. We like hamburger. Well, as we begin to be a part of leadership and leading this church, one of the things that we had to do is we had to learn how to eat like them. Yeah, change your diet. I had yeah. to change my diet. And their food was killing me in the beginning. I was yeah. eating that hot food, and I thought I was going to burst wide open. But you know what? I kept on trying different things. I kept on every time we turned around. They, 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 they did their blessing ceremonies different for their babies. You know, they, the, the West Africans, more specifically Nigerians, they circumcised, the, I mean, they named their babies on the eighth day, like Christ was circumcised on the eighth day. And the, and the thing is, is that there's an entire ceremony. I feel like I'm in the middle of the Bible as I'm performing the ceremony, but I had to learn the ceremony. I had to be willing to put aside what I've done so very well in terms of blessing babies, uh, you know, doing uh, uh, marriages. I mean, at their marriages, there is a full service. I mean, I get to preach for about 30, 40 minutes before I even bring them together. You know, I had to put aside my Western perspective, my ideas of even how I pastored for over 30 years, just so that I can integrate. And the one thing that they said to my wife and I just recently, uh, as we had served this church now for over three and a half years, and it says, you know, the reason why you have adapted and changed is because you love us. Mm -hmm. And love compelled me. Now, I love, my, I love my American lifestyle. I love spaghetti and meatballs. Those folks, I made, I made a pot of spaghetti and meatballs. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. You know, if it don't have hot peppers in it and nothing ain't jumping off like some jumping beans, <laughs> it don't mean nothing to them. Yeah. But I had to learn not to be insulted that they didn't eat my spaghetti and meatballs. Mm. I had to learn not to get enraged because uh, they didn't understand why I cook at a cookout. Because in their culture, a pastor don't touch nothing. If anything, he's there to be served and honored. But I had to learn to just do it their way, but show them my way that it's my, my, my choice, my idea to serve you. I, I will to cook for you. I want to wash your feet. I know that this is not acceptable, but you've got to let me do this because I want to demonstrate that I'm a servant of God and I love you. You, so you know, that's what I believe our white community has to do. I, I love it. And you know what I, I'm kind of tired of us modeling is we shouldn't have to change. Right. Because what we're saying is we shouldn't have to serve. Right. We shouldn't have to love. Right. And I don't care what we think. I care what God thinks. And God says we must love. Yeah. His love compels us. We, we, there, there's no option for us to follow Jesus and say, I'm just not going to. I'm just going to choose not to love an entire people group created in the image of God. That, that's not a reality. Right. So the idea we shouldn't have to change, that needs to, that's, that's sinful and needs to die. Yeah. We have to be able to love people as God intended them to be loved. Uh, Harrison, I want to throw back to what you're talking about, this learned condition uh, yeah. uh, that's going on within us. I, it, it, it exposed a misnomer that I have in my mentality where I think we'd all say we should be more understanding uh, of each other. But the misnomer is that 
understanding somebody is understanding one angle of one perspective before we continue to emphasize our existing perspective. And the problem with that is I think the divide culturally is so, so grand that we need a season of understanding. I don't, yeah. need to, I don't need to listen to one thing. I need to have a season where I don't talk and share my opinion. Yeah. I need to have a season where I sit back and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and say, God, for these next 30 days, educate me. Mm. Teach me what it looks like to, to minister to somebody who's different than me, to love somebody, yeah. to serve somebody. I need a season of understanding. I don't need a moment where it makes sense and I understand a little bit and then I'll emphasize what I already think. I need a season to say, what does this look like to love somebody else? You know, Matt, and, and what I do in my profession is that I, I, come, in, I come across a lot of different types of people, mostly white people. And um, when they come into my office and, 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 and they talk to me, I can tell by the way they're talking that they do not have a clue as to, you know, who I am and, and what I'm all about. And what I do to them is that I tell them about themselves. First of all, I've had people that came to me from Aryan nations. I had people that were skinheads. I had people who, whose parents were, were, were products of this, this off-right, you know, situation. And they were taught not to like black people. And so what I'd say to them, I said, well, first of all, how does it feel to sit in front of a black man and have this black man to tell you what's going on? I said, how do you feel being confronted by someone who is trying to help you to get you to understand how to deal with societal, societal uh, situations? But I said, you and I will never be able to take photographs together. I think we lost Harrison in terms of his volume. Yeah, Harrison, you, you cut out, you got muted. So the case is that what I'm saying to him is that you have to come to an understanding that I am going to come alongside of you and I am going to challenge your thinking. I said, because a man will never change what he believes until what he has believed has been challenged. And so challenging the thinking that he has superiority or that he has has to look down upon me because I'm a black person. So the thing is, it's a learned cultural belief in helplessness. And I'm not even going to take it even further. Racism in and of itself, mm. racism is a mental disorder. Okay, you hear what I'm saying? It is something that is of that affects the psyche. And so the thing is, we have to look at the system and the stem of it and get with and begin to deal with some some pathologies in their behaviors and then the and the teaching to remove that and the way you train that is to confront it you hear what i'm saying it's so so therefore i am going to confront you with some things that may be uncomfortable but it's going to help liberate you it's because you know you have to be free free from that what it is you think you know and learn something different and embrace it and come to understand and work with it. Hey, Matt, I just want to tell you that one of the things in the body of Christ that we really have to begin to maximize on is compelling our movement by love. I've got to be compelled to this and propelled to this place of loving you 
even in spite of yourself. And, you know, one of the things that Harrison does very well when he's talking to people of various thinkings is that he is actually saying, hey, I'm going to love you even if you don't love me back. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to walk with you even if you don't want to walk with me. So it, it has to, we have to get moving in a direction. And if there was any challenge I would give to the white evangelical church is, is that you've got you to be willing to walk with me. You've got to be compelled yeah. by love. Yeah. You've got to yeah. be willing to say, you know what, I, I'm here. Mitt Romney, now he belongs to another expression of the believing faith. And he is doing more than some people who are part of the Christian faith, quote, unquote. Well, now, I mean, he's almost, I mean, he stands up in Congress in the Senate Hall and, and pronounces righteousness. Yes. When, the, when the folk who are more along the mainstream of where you and I believe are silent, mm. quiet don't want to say anything. So I, you know, I told you earlier when we were sort of you know, getting together, we're in a time of another revival. The tent revival is over. Mm. And even when it was the tent revivals, remember the good ones, they incorporated both black and white and God moved miraculously underneath those tents. Billy Graham in the 1950s and the 1960s, what made him so phenomenal in Los Angeles and other places is he refused to have a meeting where it was white only. He saw the body of Christ. Now, he had his own line of, 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 of political thinking. He, you know, he belonged to a certain party. But when he came to, to me and to you and to others of various races and, and nationalities, he saw us as one human race. And so now that we have gone past the tent revival, we are now in the tech revival. And right yeah. now we are having a revival right on this podcast. This revival that we are having is a change of thinking. Harrison had mm -hmm. mentioned this earlier. All right. So what did Jesus say? Repent for the kingdom of God. God. is in. Now that word mm -hmm. repent from the Greek to the English is Change your way of thinking. Yes, yes. Change that racism. Change that, you know, they got to do it my way because we're the largest culture. Um, I don't understand them because of the way that they express themselves or the way they live or the way they eat. It's so different for me. We've got to <laughs> change our way of thinking. We're in the tech revival. And the tech yeah. revival is a precursor to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I ever thought at any time that the hour is near, and I don't even want to get, you know, sliding into eschatology, but if I ever thought that the time of crisis ever near, it's nearer now than ever before. I'm more convinced that with the pandemic, with this whole racial rage, with this violence that's taking place, the injustice that's taking place, it is a precursor to the move of God, and we need to reach everybody, and we got to be unified. We've got to be the body of Christ. I don't want my feet to act like my hands. Mm -hmm. I may be the feet. You may be the hands. You may have the heart. I got the liver. If my liver is acting like my heart, what do I have need of you for? I've got to embrace that I'm a member of the body of Christ, that we belong together. So, so what, what this pandemic has done for us is that it's taken us right out of our museum churches. I, I, even in my own church, they, they, sh they shiver when I say it. 
Because I said, you know what? We got this big, beautiful building, but God wants us out of this place. He wants us in the marketplace. He yeah. wants us in the neighborhoods. He wants us side by side. He wants me in your neighborhood. He wants me in your church. He wants me worshiping with you. He wants me celebrating with you. Hey, he wants me eating your macaroni and cheese without me. He wants me <laughs> with you. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and one thing I can say, Matt, is, is this, the, the young folk today, this Black Lives Matter movement, okay, yeah. The Black Lives Matters movement, a lot of folks don't understand the effect and impact that it is having within the country. Now, Black Lives Matters movement is, is not something of exclusion, okay? But it, it is it, it's a statement of focus. It's a statement of getting people to focus in on the ethnicity and, and the culture of which they have been pushing aside. It is to get them to understand and to get them to say, here we are, and we're not going anywhere anytime soon. So let's begin now to do some things to change the way the culture of our society has been moving. So people are threatened by that, but I'm not threatened by it. As a matter of fact, and what it is, it's sometimes this movement requires a sacrifice. And they're willing to sacrifice their health based on what they feel and they believe is something that is of a righteous cause. With this pandemic, there's folk that are walking around here that are saying, I don't care if there's a pandemic, but there's also, there's a pandemic of ignorance. There's a pandemic of racism. There's a pandemic of something else. And they're saying, I need now to do something about it and I'm willing to make a sacrifice. How many are willing to sacrifice to yeah. make this thing happen? Yeah. yeah. Hey, Harrison, let me throw in here real quickly. Matt, I know we blew your agenda. I know we did. <laughs> my, my agenda is what God's going you know, Harrison, Harrison told you that this thing was going to get set on fire. <laughs> All right? So we're living up to the reality of it. <laughs> but, you know, in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. Yes. If there is a sacrifice that is willing to be made of life for the sake of justice, how much more so should it be in the realm of the spirit among the believing community where we are willing to lay down our lives? Yes. The church has become so prosperous. We want our houses. We want our Cadillacs. We want our Mercedes. We want our BMWs. And nothing wrong with that because I like, I like those cars too. Hey, but beside all of that, where do we come to the point where we're willing to say, you know what? We're going to stand up for righteousness. We're going to come shoulder to shoulder like the Black Lives Movement, which is really a movement of, of the new generation. And any revival yeah. that's ever kicked out, note it now, any revival that's ever happened in the church, it's always started with young people. Yes, it did. You will note it uh, from the, the Welsh revival to the revival that took place in Lu uh, 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 Louisiana to the revival that took place in Canada. Any revival always yeah. started out with young people. Yeah. And so I believe that what has happened, the enemy wanted to put a shelter in place. But mm -hmm. now we have broken mm -hmm. out, we have taken the streets, and now the church needs to join the movement of this new revival and say, you know what? If they're willing to lay down their lives, so am I. If they're willing to walk shoulder to shoulder, regardless yeah. of color and skin and ethnicity and nation and tribe and language, so am I. 
What makes a man in Japan want to march for me? I have no idea, but the spirit of God. There's one, one I, Matt, I want to say this. There's a passage that um, one of the uh, prophets, I don't know, but I can't put my finger on it right now, but it, it says that I will offer no sacrifice unto the Lord that doesn't cost me something. David said it. David said that. I will not offer a sacrifice unto the Lord that doesn't cost me something. You got to make a sacrifice. It's got to be something that you're willing to give up. You got to be willing to risk something in order to get something back. And these folk and are willing to make that sacrifice. So go ahead, Matt. I, and here's where I think we're at. I think we've got to be stop. We, we got to stop being so afraid to make a political misstep in order to take a spiritual risk. Right. I think that's what it is. I think we're afraid of of what what we might condone politically because yeah. of what we do spiritually. And I'm saying that doesn't that doesn't even matter. Yeah. Like mm. I'm, I'm looking at this, and I come back to what do we emphasize about what's happening right now? Why is the church not celebrating the work that God is doing to bring a racial equality throughout the world? Why should why aren't we going? Praise God that we're seeing advances that we haven't seen before. Praise God that we're seeing this. We're so focused on the part of it that we don't like and what that might mean for our comfort that we're unwilling to see the success that God is producing and be excited about it. You, you talked about eating different food. Um, I'll tell you the best Thanksgiving of my life, and no offense to my grandmother's cooking or to my mom's cooking uh, or anywhere else I've eaten on Thanksgiving, the best Thanksgiving of my life came at a Hispanic church in the center of uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, yeah. where I, I had the, the, the blessing to preach for Pastor Carlos Belza there. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, you know, it, it was a Sunday before Thanksgiving. He said, man, I don't know what you're doing. Our congregation would love to have you back here for Thanksgiving dinner. Wow. And God put it in my heart. Matt, there's one place on this physical planet that you need to be on Thanksgiving, and it's, 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 uh, it's the church right here in the center of Reading. That's where you got to be, and you're going to eat this food that's different, and you're going you're gonna to struggle to understand people with, a, with an accent that's not natural to you, right. but you're yeah. going to be loved, and, and you're going to love. And, and like I said, that, that was the best Thanksgiving I ever had. Did it take a risk? Yeah, I didn't know what I was getting into. Did it take some sacrifice? I wasn't around my family. Was it worth every bit? Absolutely. That's the stuff we got to be thinking about doing. We got to get to the point where we don't just, we take a season of understanding, but beyond a season of understanding, we get to a hug level friendship where I see you and I know you and I trust you and I want to give you a hug. I think we got to get there. I think the church needs to for Jesus Christ. When you see the scriptures talking about this in, in eternity, we're doing an afterlife series right now in church. Uh -huh. um, you see these lines about the nations gathering. Yeah. They're always victorious. Yeah. God accomplished something. God settled something. Well, we, we need to fight for what God's going to accomplish and what he's going to settle. Guys, I love it. I love you. I love your story. I love your passion. Love you. Um, I wish we'd keep going, but you know, we, we got to put an end to this sometime. So, uh, I want to thank you guys I, I, for our listeners out there. I bet that something one of us has said has challenged you, has made you maybe angry, um, has been heard in a way where you didn't want to hear it. I just challenge you to think on it, have a season of understanding, have a season of prayer. 
say, God, does this represent something that's got to change in my heart? Because I think for us to see what God wants to win, win, we've got to be able to let it win in our hearts first. So let, let's think about it. Let's, let's talk about it. Um, love you guys. Love our listeners. And, uh, and thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.